Welcome to Elevating Brick and Mortar, a podcast about how operations and facilities drive brand performance. On today's episode, we talk with Morgan Sagan, facilities manager for Swarovski. Swarovski creates beautiful crystal-based products of impeccable quality and craftsmanship that bring joy and celebrate individuality. Today, this legacy is rooted in sustainability measures across the value chain, with an emphasis on circular innovation, championing diversity, inclusion and self-expression, and in the philanthropic work of the Swarovski Foundation, which supports charitable organizations bringing positive environmental and social impact. Morgan has 15 years of experience working in retail, 10 of which are in facilities management. He has worked for international luxury retailers all over the world, such as Prada and Christian Dior, where he pioneered and launched the facilities management program. In this episode, Morgan discusses managing facilities on an international scale, the attention to detail required of a luxury retailer, and how Swarovski is honoring their responsibility to the planet with sustainable practices. But first, a word from our sponsor. Want to rest easy knowing your brick and mortar locations are offering the best possible guest experience? Partner with Service Channel for peak facilities performance. Check out servicechannel.com today to learn more. Now here's your host, industry and FM technology thought leader and chief business development officer at Service Channel, Sid Shetty, along with our guest, Morgan Sagan. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. I am here today with Morgan Sagan, Facilities Manager at Swarovski. Morgan, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Sid. Thank you very much uh, for having me on your, on your show. Absolutely. Thank you. So, Morgan, tell me a bit about your journey into facilities management, specifically in the luxury retail sector. Uh, let's start maybe 10 years ago. That's where I really uh, stepped in facility management. It all happened uh, organically, let's say. I was uh, working at L- in London at the time for a brand, a luxury brand that was investing a lot in, uh, in new stores and refurbishing their stores until I had a, a wake-up call, let's say, and uh, I went to the general manager and, uh, and I went open cards and I said, look, it's a bit of a shame. We're just investing so much. We're building new stores and, uh, and there's no one really there to, to look after it. And uh, you can imagine 10 years ago, facility management was slightly different. It was purely maintenance, you know, and that's, that's how I really started uh, facility management. But straightforward, I, I noticed it was more about maintaining uh, the stores, you know. Facility management is, is way uh, wider than this. And slowly we built up a department and started to touch different uh, different topics. Right. Start taking on, on, on more stores, more countries, grow. And that's a bit of uh, my journey in a nutshell. You've gone through and worked at some amazing brands through your journey. How long have you been at Swarovski now? Yeah, I joined Swarovski in 2019 when I moved from, from London to Paris. So it's going to four years now. That's amazing. Four amazing years. So Swarovski is an amazing brand. I mean, I personally grew up with Swarovski around me in some way or form. My family was and is a big fan. And Swarovski has come to my rescue many a time when it, I was dating my now wife. So I have a personal attachment to the brand. So thank you. Tell me, what is the North Star of the brand? Like, when, What sentiment are you trying to invoke in your customers when they think, about Swarovski? Well, first of all, thank you very much to, to being a loyal customer. And uh, <laughs> I'm glad we <laughs> saved your life. Uh, I can yeah. save my life two times too. <laughs> I mean, this uh, famous saying from uh, Daniel Swarovski was the founder of the company and, and his vision was to uh, offer diamond to uh, every woman. 
what, what, what I get from this is that we are a company who is very uh, socially inclusive. It means that we are touching everybody. We're not a company who is selecting who we want to uh, sell to or to, to communicate to or to be close to. So I think this is something we want people to to feel like. If you walk in a Swarovski store, you will find yourself and what you need. Then uh, we are over 125 years in business, creating crystals. Of course, we have an heritage, a savoir-faire. We uh, bring creativity and innovation in everything we do. And we're in constant evolution around those very embedded pillars of, of the company. Always trying also to keep up with the real world and being bold and, uh, and adapting to current situation, being part of the conversation, really. And then we have also the, the, the luxurious aspect of our, our products. So they want them to feel proud wearing our jewelries and gaining confidence also because you are a person and then you're just adding things to yourself which are beautiful and that supposedly make you feel good. And um, that's a little bit about the, the, the environment or the atmosphere, the mindset that we have in Swarovski. That's pretty amazing. Founded in 1895 in Austria. You know, that, exactly. that's phenomenal. I want to double click more about Swarovski and all the different things that as an organization you are doing. But tell me a bit about your responsibilities at Swarovski. You oversee UK, Ireland, Nordics, France, and Benelux. That's a pretty wide area. Can you share what it means in terms of your scope of responsibility? I'm lucky and unlucky. <laughs> lucky in a way that I'm working on a geographical scope, which is quite similar. The way uh, to access a remote location is not as complicated as other part of the world. Vendors tend to have some similarities. So I'm, I'm lucky in this sense. We are a global team and we cannot be expert in uh, every single aspect in every single country. So we'll uh, make sure we work with the right people and we basically uh, expand then to other countries the best practices or the best level of compliance. Uh, it's always better to have more than less. So we're trying to deal uh, and to make the most of all these discrepancies between countries. And I can say that some of my colleagues we are dealing with other regions are less lucky than me. But this is how we uh, we deal with that. Yeah, I want to touch upon like how different it is to handle a global brand, especially based on your geographical spread. But, but before we do that, when you and your team look at the role that you play in facilities at Swarovski, what is the kind of impact that you would like to have on the brand? And how do you position yourselves within your organization? I mean, we are a team of experts, let's put it that way. We're not people who are there to, uh, to do the work in the store. We are more a team of advisors, uh, whistleblowers, uh, sometimes magicians. But we're really trying to have a, a qualitative and quantitative impact on the organization. Qualitative impact, for instance, would be uh, using our expertise, knowledge, data to be able to, to feed up, upward uh, in the company and maybe starting to use certain assets uh, over another because we think that uh, maybe qualitatively we can gain uh, having a better quality in our stores. We can have a, a longer asset cycle. Uh, we're also quantitative. Uh, we can maybe put some pressure and uh, benefit from uh, buying in bulk or this sort of thing. So that's the impact that we make uh, in, in the company on a day-to-day -day basis. But then we also make uh, a difference to everybody's uh, life, you know, uh, whether they are, they are client, customers, uh, our staff, and everybody is visiting our stores, also our vendors. 
often think that uh, they don't go to our stores, but they go, but they go by night. We don't see them, but we need to make sure that, I don't know, they have the, the right lighting to be able to, to do their work and not fall off or they have uh, the way to, uh, to access our stores with the right procedures and not just going one morning and having a, a door shut. So all the right. things we're trying to, uh, to work on and make everybody's uh, life easier to do their decor uh, responsibilities. This is a brand that's been around since 1895 and that's a long time and the kind of brand image that you have is what kind of gives you that longevity right it is something that has stood the tests of time and it's got a phenomenal positioning as a brand and clearly invokes a sentiment in the consumer and part of that brand image is your locations your stores they're welcoming even your logo is beautiful like it's saying walk into my location when you look at what you have to do to preserve that physical space how do you kind of position what facilities does how do you ensure that you're tying what you do to preserving the brand versus fixing things faster when our CEO says uh, product is king, the client is queen, the store is the castle. Uh, so we treat it as a castle. Uh, you wouldn't go to Disneyland and then if you have a, a castle that's all falling apart and not painted very well with the wrong lighting, slippery stairs, right. you would have a bad experience in Disneyland. And you don't want your kid to have a bad experience in Disneyland. And it's, for me, it's a bit the same. Uh, we need to treat our stores the best we can. They must be uh, risk-free at all time, but they must also be uh, practical and inviting. So it's not just about having a beautiful store. It's also making sure that the client will walk in the store and step it every single uh, square inches of the store. Every single square inches will offer you a, a new environment, something new to look at. And when you need something, you'll have the best people to help you in the store and have everything in their hands to, to support you, whether it's to have a seat, to have a mirror, to have a, a, the product at hand, to have a presentation tray, all the way to when you do your, your purchase. You know, it's, it goes also in the, the closing ceremony when you have a nice little bag that is wrapped in the right way and handed to you by a, a very smiley and, uh, and social uh, customer advisor. We pay attention in every single detail at 360 degrees and we always put uh, the, the customer at heart of what we do and we've been doing this year as you said for over 20, 125 years although that we're not in retail since uh, the, the the creation of the company but yes we've been making crystal and we have a, a very unique savoir-faire that is a, a competitive advantage for for the company for sure so facilities management has a different flavor depending on the type of organization that you're part of. What is it like to be responsible for facilities in a luxury brand? What's the expectation? I presume that the, all the way up to the sea level, there is focus and attention to detail in terms of what the stores feel like, look like, and how they're preserved, right? Well, I think the way you asked the question, uh, you uh, took the word of my mouth because I wanted to say uh, the expectations are, uh, are very high and, and focus on, on quality, focus on details and on speed as well. If you take an example, you work in a luxury store and you have half of your light bulbs that are not working and it's going to be like this for a week. That doesn't give a good, uh, good image uh, as a brand. It means it's a brand that doesn't know how to react, that doesn't have the, the capacities and the structure to, to maintain the facilities. And who knows, maybe that's the same in the way they, 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 they create the product. So 
from from top to bottom the the, the expectation uh, highs for details high expectation on, on on quality and speed but then the, the store design as well is, is becoming more and more complex and and more difficult uh to react and, and deliver now we're going to a more uh, complex store design more uh, customized depending on the country on different factors and you need to be able to react to this and, and adapt otherwise as a luxury brand, you are so visible to the social media, for instance, and the risk to damage your brand brand image are, have never been have never been higher. The last thing I think is the tolerance from your stakeholders as well. Your clients are expecting something uh, from you as a brand uh, because you have talked the talk, but you need to walk the walk. Lastly, if you allow me, people are being customers are being more educated, not just on products, but yeah. also on, on facilities. You know, we have people. I'm just taking an example. Uh, unfortunately, in in the UK, someone uh, with a, a nice uh, window with no manifestation stickers and and the client because the <laughs> windows are so clean, thanks to facility management, uh, it walked <laughs> in the the window and hurt his nose and. And the client was saying, well, you, you're not compliant here because you should have two stripes of the stickers and it should be at a certain level. And we're like, wow, do you work for health and safety, uh, sir? Or no, no, no. So just that people are being more educated from a health and safety point of view and also from a maintenance point of view. Right. These sort of things are becoming more and more uh, challenging uh, to meet uh, the expectation and, and to manage all the operation behind to, to resolve the incidents. Yeah, and I think when it comes to luxury retail, it's even more challenging, right? Because you have to get the basics right, for sure. But then you kind of have to go above and beyond and create this, this perception of opulence and this perception of a welcoming environment where customers want to spend a few hundreds of dollars on luxury items. The physical space takes on a whole new kind of dimension in that contribution that it has to the experience of the customer, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, opulence, yeah, people see opulence and, and educate it. I mean, you you see all sorts of things in our stores. I remember building a flagship in London and then we, we brought in a one million pound art piece and the operation to bring it into the store was just tremendous. But this is what you will find in luxury stores these days, you know. When we talk about opulence, it's not just right. about having a, a bit of a, a gold leaf on a, on a door handle. Right. Now you have art pieces exposed right. in stores. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, Swarovski is doing some very interesting things as it pertains to its new store concepts too and, and very interesting design. Like the one you just opened, I think, a couple of years back in Soho in New York. Yes. That store looks pretty amazing and it's a very interesting concept. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll pass the message to our internal uh, <laughs> design team. But uh, it's true. We are uh, Swarovski has uh, started a, a transition a couple of years back. So being one of the, the first few stores have been uh, refitted, let's say. As of today, we have, uh, I think, 15 different flagship uh, across the world. We are wow. a flagship would be a, a, one of these uh, wow factor store when you'll have any environment that Swarovski can uh, can offer, from eyewear to crystalware, uh, jewelry, watches, and so on, and they will uh, expose all our savoir-faire and heritage. That, that's that's the purpose of the flagship. But then we have yeah. all the other stores as well, and and somehow they need to follow the same. Uh, they need to be consistent with with your flagship and what we're trying to vehiculate as a as a brand image. So we have started to uh, to design new concepts. 
the time uh, where where people would go in the store and and they wanted all uh, white and sparkly. Now, if you walk in Soho, uh, you'll see the store is completely uh, green and pink right. with a lot of uh, octagonal boxes on the wall, and it gives you a, a sort of an artistic environment. It's a bit wondrous. You just want to walk in and discover what what's all about, and every single box offers you a new piece of jewelry. The colors are very vibrant as well. Things things are changing, changing in retail, and we. We must be part of the conversation, as I said. We, we we must respond to that. We don't want to be an outsider. And that's what we're doing at the moment. We have a very excited, exciting project to come as well, uh, New York 2024. So keep an eye on this. I invite you as well to check some of the, the latest stores that we've built in, built in Asia. They are absolutely uh, uh, marvelous. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I know for a fact that my wife will be more than happy to go check out the stores. <laughs> hey, I'm your host, Sid Shetty, and I hope you're enjoying this conversation so far. To make sure you're up to date and have access to all our episodes, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Also, if you have thoughts, comments, or questions, be sure to follow Service Channel on LinkedIn so you can be part of our community of like-minded folks, as well as have access to a lot of other great content. Feel free to also connect and follow me on LinkedIn. I'm your host, Sid Shetty, and now back to the show. When you walk into that store and you look at the images, I haven't been to the one in Soho yet. It's on my list, but it's an experience. The design, the store, the shelves are all part of this display of opulence, this display of creativity and kind of creating this convergence of design, art and your product, which is pretty fantastic. You're absolutely right. As I said, it's for, for everybody. We are a company who are very uh, inclusive. Uh, we are genderless. We support uh, LGBTQ communities and all that. So it, it's really an experience for everybody. We've thought about this and everything is made to offer you a journey and experience and, and, and find, find what, what you're looking for, really. That's right. What's driving this change, you know, with trying out new store concepts and making the store itself feel like a work of art? Why? It's an evolution, I guess. It's an evolution. If we look at the, the retail industry in general, not just luxury, look at High Street, how many stores are opening and closing within three or five years? Why? It's because people uh, are... are a distribution plan much more uh, loose and flexible. As soon as you see something that is not working, you have the possibility, it's easier than before, to move out or, or refurbish or to change uh, location. And when you change of location, of course, you change a little bit your concept and you redo your stores. So the strategy is not to move uh, from one location to another, but it's more about uh, keeping our store up to date. You know, we have a team of professionals working on things like this, and, um, and we just adapt to the current world. It's a small world as well, right. uh, I must admit. So it's, it's, it's really hard as well to, to become unique and, and, and come up with a new store design that no one has thought of before, no one has done before. It's just about uh, adding your magic touch and, and all the codes that can represent your brand. We have the octagonal shape. Now you will see that everyone in all our stores, so our display table, our door handles, our uh, displays, anything we have the uh, octagonal shape. So there are a few things that are staying embedded with the company and some of the things that must change, uh, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, organizations sometimes forget, like you, you design all these beautiful stores 
and they look pristine, but someone is responsible for making that store continue to feel and look pristine, right? That's the facilities team. You're the ones that are actually making sure that every day the brand and the store look like it did on day one. How do you work with the different functions to ensure that you're part of the conversation always? Because once you build it, and they move on, mm-hmm. facilities is the one that makes sure going forward, everything looks and feels up to brand standard. Mm-mm. I mean, that's part of the, 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 the life cycle of a store. You know, it's not like you said, from the, the day they opens until the day it closes. And in Swarovski, really, truly, we have a 360 degree vision, which is shared by all departments. So it's, it's easy to talk to each other using the same language and the same conversation. If we're talking about excellence in a store, we know what we're talking about. If we're talking about selling, we know what we're talking about, selling ceremony. That is something quite uh, quite easy uh, to educate people. Most of the things are, are also benefit that we're bringing uh, to, to everybody's life. So that's when, when, when it comes to, to communication and vision, the way we work, uh, we also... Uh, a company was really a uh, process orientated so everything is is more like predefined everybody know where they stand their role uh when it comes to uh coming with a new project from the real estate we'll find the right location designers will put uh, the best layout construction that will construct in, in the best way using the best material and then us come from the day of the opening and we need to keep on going we always say the store must always look like it looked on day one. Clearly it's working. I mean, your, your stores look you know, amazing. And I think it makes total sense, right? Because in reality, you're not just competing with the next brand out there. Like today, especially in a viral world like today, where photographs go from one end of the world to the other when something doesn't look right, or something goes viral because it looks beautiful and captures the attention of the consumer. You know, you're competing for mind space. You're competing for mm-hmm. attention. And when someone's walking down the street somewhere on Fifth Avenue in New York and there's tons of brands, you're competing for them to say in that split second, oh, yeah, I know what? I want to walk into a Swarovski store. I want to walk into a particular brand that, that, that grabbed my attention. And that's what it comes down to, right? Like that, that, that split second, it doesn't matter how good your website is at that point. It doesn't matter, you know, how your ads might be. In that moment, it's the location facade that says, you are welcome, walk in. You, you're totally right. You're totally right. I mean, uh, it's very difficult to gain new clients, but in my opinion, it's even more difficult to keep your clients and you need to work very, very hard to keep them and make sure when they pass your store, they'll work in your store, not in, in somebody else. And uh, and I think we discussed that one day. Uh, many stores are doing that now, and but they're using their olfactory sense to grab the clients. So you have right. a perfume diffuser yeah, outside right. the store so that when you walk in, in the street, you know that. 100 uh, meters, 100 yards down the road, you're going to find that brand because that smell is automatically connected to that brand. Then The the art of subliminal messaging, I guess, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, these are all the techniques that that, uh, I think retailers are using to gain a competitive advantage, to uh, diversify, to uh, single out from another brand because you need to catch that mindset. Clients, they come and go, you know, this is retail today. It's very, very competitive. It's hard to gain a client, it's hard to keep it, but uh, you can always gain your client back. 
And uh, we've seen also many, many brands who are pretending to be luxurious and they invest massively. And then uh, within five years, they disappear. Uh, right. I'm not going to name any brands, but uh, I have some examples. Uh, we are still here today. We're going to be there tomorrow. So That's right. I'd say if a client wants to try elsewhere, well, they can, but I, I know they will, they will come back. They will come back to Swarovski and then they realize also uh, what Swarovski is, is about maybe and enjoy it more. So it's not about uh, getting a client and, and, and hold it, you know, but it's true that uh, we make the difference on the long term. Yeah, you want to have a relationship with your customer and have that relationship a long one. I agree 100%. Let's pivot a little bit and just talk about the fact that you're a global brand. So clearly, like it's across different geographies, across continents. How does that play into how you manage your facilities program? Because there's got to be a huge difference in how you manage your facilities in Europe, where there might be, you know, a lot of heritage buildings and older buildings to how they, you know, the kind of locations you have in the U.S. And I'm sure there are similar challenges in the APAC markets. Can you share some thoughts on that? Totally right. I mean, you know, it's all this first about globalization, globalization, globalization. Uh, I, I studied international business. When you, you, you study business at international level, you always have different uh, uh, level, macro level, micro level. And I apply the same thing in my vision of fast management. I think globalization has its limits. If you want to compare things, we, they must be comparable. Uh, you look at the world and the, the, the huge differences in culture, uh, in the economy, uh, the localization, the weather, the local law. So for me, there's no uh, one formula that works globally. Uh, what we do, as I said before, we're trying to take the, the best practices and apply them uh, per region or per area. And I think a, a very thorough and, and sustainable fast management program is a pro program that goes deep into those different uh, levels of analysis. That's uh, the, the challenge as, as a global brand for me. Then I'm sure all my colleagues work in marketing and, and visual merchandising must have also uh, the, the same challenges, how to adapt uh, the right product. In, you know, it's the, the, the four Ps, the, the right products at the right place, the right price for the right person. Right. That's, uh, that's, that's the challenge. For me, globalization is, is, is it, its limits and needs to be uh, managed very wisely to make the most of it. Now, Swarovski is more than just the consumer brand that we know and love, right? There's more to the Swarovski group, right? Can you explain that? Well, first of all, Swarovski uh, is uh, making crystal that is turning into jewelry. So we sell them in our stores. But then we also have different divisions. We have a Swarovski Optic. So it goes to eyewear. It will go uh, to uh, uh, equipment for uh, hunters. Uh, we also uh, develop some machinery. So we're using crystal to cut products like, like stones and, and this sort of thing. So we are touching different, uh, different industries. Beyond that, I think Swarovski, and this is a very, very important topic these days, is, is a company that, we, that is responsible. We have a, a Swarovski Foundation, uh, as an example, that was set up over 10 years ago. They have different objectives to make a, a difference in the world uh, from a social environment uh, perspective. So we have a, a sorority water school, for instance, 
we go around the world, whether it's Asia, South, uh, South America, Africa, and we, uh, we educate people. Uh, we go to school and we explain them what's water, what's the, the importance of water. We do actions where we will uh, help local communities to, uh, to gather the water and purify the water and have access to clean water. We will do actions to, uh, to clean oceans. And the reason why we are so close with water is because water is the main ingredient to, uh, to create crystals. This is something that is lasting for 127 years when the company was founded. Daniel Swarovski always had this consciousness about water. That's amazing. I mean, I think it's phenomenal to see what Swarovski is doing to give back. And I read somewhere that the part of the heritage of Swarovski is to have a responsible relationship with people and the planet. That's a pretty amazing way to explain your high-level goals or your North Star too, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, further to this, um, we, we also apply that. In, I mean, it's a mindset that we all have in Swarovski because even in, Swarovski, in facility management, we're always trying to, uh, to think, okay, how can we make an impact? It's very really hard. First thing is we have an international protocol as well, a program, and the construction team is very involved with that. It's a bit like the, the lead certification. So now we also have some criteria where we measure ourselves. And at the end of a construction, we know at which level our store has been built in terms of sustainability. Then what do we do? We close the store and what happens? So now we facility management have also been involved in that protocol where we're trying to uh, identify what's happening after the life cycle of an asset uh, furniture. For instance, we are now trying to give them a second life. So we recondition them. We will uh, make them brand new again to be reused in a new store. Or maybe we will uh, help a, a partner or another juror to make use of those, uh, those units. A lot of pressure as well on, on our vendors to be uh, a bit greener in the type of material they use, whether it's, it's a glue, it's a cleaning product, it's a type of paint, push them to go paperless. So we can have an impact on sustainability at facility management level, and we will. I'm sure we will. Facility management is growing, it's changing, it's metamorphosing, and I'm very, very happy to, to be part of it. I love that. I mean, I think customers expect their brands that they love um, to stand for something, right? It's not enough to just have a great product and have it be on a shelf. You need to be responsible. You need to give back. You need to be sustainable. Use techniques that allow you to create your products in a sustainable way and also encourage the partners that you use, the providers and suppliers that you use to have the same kind of responsibility. So it's amazing to see that Swarovski is doing that because consumers today, they're not just looking for something that's bright and shiny. They want to go and stand behind brands that, that stand for something bigger than just their product. So I think that's really important for all our customers and our brands and all the brands out there that are looking to gain market share to understand. We ultimately have only one planet. And the more we can do to preserve it, the better the lives of the generations to come. Let's talk about really quick the future. What does the future of luxury retail look like in your mind? Do you see any interesting changes in consumer behavior or challenges that we need to keep in mind and get ahead of? Stores are having a much smaller life cycle. So you'll see uh, retail uh, stores opening and closing, uh, increasing visibility. Oh, one day is there, now it's there, you know. I think that's part of strategy, in my opinion. 
a lot more of brands opening pop-up stores for a short period of time just to launch mm. a new collection just to uh, to make an impact on a, on, on a local uh, event and they will do a special collection to target a certain culture a certain event a certain time of the year I'm just thinking about Mother's Day uh, Olympics Ramadan uh, Chinese New Year you know all these things I think we will see uh, replicated in, in, in retail I don't think that uh, brick and mortar stores are, are over. I think we had COVID and, and there's a, a changes in mind where people would buy online. But from what I read and I gather, it looks like people are going back to the stores, which is very, very positive. I can see technology uh, as well becoming a, a big part of our, of our stores uh, or stores in general, you know, Internet right. of Things, how things are connected one to another. Recently walked into a store and uh, there was a screen and you can see what's the weather like, what's the level of uh, humidity in the stores and then it was 100% of, uh, of purity in the air, you know. So it's connecting right. your assets to deliver that message. Artificial intelligence as well. More think about facility management. At the moment, change of concept, you know, you need to create new manuals. So use of artificial intelligence to develop right. those manuals and maybe to help technicians who are coming to a store for the first time. So a lot, a lot of uh, things will, will be happening in retail. It will be obvious to a client or a customer, sometimes not. But that's, uh, that's promising for facility management like, at the end of the day. I agree with you 100%. I think one thing that we can all bet on is that things are changing and changing really fast. And I think the brands and the teams and the, and the programs that adapt to that change will be the ones that come out winning. Let's end with one final fun question, uh, Morgan. What is your guilty pleasure luxury purchase? Uh, is it my or my wife's? <laughs> either, either. <laughs> It has to be Swarovski, I guess, right? Uh, well, it has to be Swarovski, yes. I like uh, bracelets. I do like bracelets. So on, on my bedroom door, you have a sort of like closet with all the bracelets. Oh, nice. Uh, sort of like hanging. Yeah, I like watches too. That's about it. But I guess my wife has more taste than me when it comes to uh, luxury products. <laughs> That's awesome. In, in my household, just, you know, the favorites are earrings and necklace. Uh, I think Swarovski has some beautiful uh, products that we have enjoyed over the years. Well, with that, Morgan, just want to say a huge thank you to you for for taking the time to chat with me today. Really appreciate it. Can you tell our audience where they can find you? Well, you can find me primarily in Paris. Uh, this is where uh, I am based. Now uh, you can also maybe catch me in other parts of the world, but maybe mainly uh, London and Amsterdam. Find me on LinkedIn, social medias. I'm not uh, too, uh, <laughs> too uh, active, but please do reach out if you want to connect, ask any questions. Uh, anyway. That sounds great. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Morgan. Really appreciate it. I truly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much. And to all in our audience, thank you for joining. And we'll see you next time on Elevating Brick and Mortar. That was Morgan Sagal from Swarovski. It was amazing to hear how Swarovski has stood the test of time and is adapting to stay ahead of the curve in the world of luxury retail. What is also amazing is to see their mission to give back, be responsible, and contribute to the world that we live in. Consumers today expect that of the brands they love, and Swarovski understands that. With that, I'm your host, Sid Shetty, and I'll see you on the next episode of Elevating Brick and Mortar. Service Channel brings you peace of mind through peak facilities performance. 
Rest easy knowing your locations are offering the best possible guest experience, living up to brand standards, and operating with minimal downtime. Service Channel partners with more than 500 leading brands globally to provide visibility across operations, the flexibility to grow and adapt to consumer expectations, and accelerated performance from their asset fleet and service providers. Get to know us at servicechannel.com.